Welcome back to the Yeshua Judaism series of podcasts. We're going to continue our discussion that answers the question, what is true, holy scripture? What is the true, holy scripture? Meaning, the ultimate source of truth, of biblical truth. What is it? And does Christianity actually utilize it in their pursuit of truth? And again, this will be part two of that discussion. Now, we ended part one where we basically showed how that the Apostle Paul and all other characters, all personalities in the New Testament considered the Tanakh, known by most, to most Christians as the Old Testament, to be Holy Scripture. It was their Scripture. The New Testament personalities used the Tanakh as Scripture, and that is their definition of Scripture was the Tanakh. That includes Yeshua, known by his false name Jesus, as well as all of his original followers. Because, quite simply, there was no such thing as the New Testament. It did not exist. Now, as I briefly brought up in, the, in, the, uh, in part one, yes, there may have been letters that were circulating, but those letters, be they the Gospels or epistles or whatever, had to first be written, then collected. So, for instance, the letter to the Romans by Paul. Well, it was sent to the Romans. So for it to actually be spread far and wide among all the various believers, it first had to be copied and then more copies and more copies and then spread. And they didn't have the postal service. They didn't have UPS or FedEx. They didn't have the Internet. That would have taken a long time. All right. So it would have taken years, even if it was a, <laughs> a determined effort to do so, and probably took decades, and quite frankly, it wasn't probably until the second century that the letters, which ultimately ended up comprising the New Testament, were collected. And that's an if. It may not even have happened then. So it is a fact, and there isn't really no legitimate debate that the New Testament did not exist during the time that the New Testament was being written. Therefore, it could not have possibly been considered by the people at that time to be Holy Scripture. It was just letters. And again, most people, don't, they forget, the majority of these epistles were personal letters. They were letters, okay? And this, I'm deviating here, this isn't in the written material on Tormasai.org website. But, it needs to be understood, the authors of the New Testament, particularly regarding the epistles. Now, the, the Gospels and the book of Acts, maybe that's different, and I'll discuss that momentarily. But the epistles were letters. Basically, what Christians are doing when they read the New Testament is reading someone else's mail. I mean, I mean let's be honest, that's what's happening. They're stealing from the mailbox someone's personal letter, and they're reading it, and then they're treating it as a theological treatise. These were letters. It is doubtless, there is virtually no doubt, that when the epistles were written, 
the apostles probably never envisioned that these letters would be read as though they are precise, um, you know, no errors, theological treatises to be used as foundational doctrines henceforth. It, I guarantee you, if, if, if they had known that their letters were going to be compiled in a book called the New Testament and then used to overrule the Tanakh, which, quite frankly, every Christian out there knows this to be true, whether they admit it or not, they used the New Testament to overrule the Tanakh. If they had known that, they would have for sure <laughs> clarified things, expanded upon things, been more precise with things. They would have written in a different manner than simply a personal letter. And Christians seem to forget that. And, and that's really astounding because it's common sense. These letters, these epistles were not written and intended to be precise theological dogmas and treatises that were henceforth to be used to overrule what they considered to be Scripture. And that is exactly what, unfortunately, Christianity does, particularly with their misinterpretations of the Apostle Paul. And I discussed that in the series in which I proved that Christianity actually teaches against following Christ. And now Christianity to a large extent, could more legitimately be called Paulianity because of how it actually exalts the letters of Paul, the misinterpretations of the epistles of Paul, above everything else in Scripture, literally everything, everything in the New Testament and everything in the Tanakh, even above the eternal Torah of the living God. And I won't go into that. That's in that other series. It's a multi-part series in which I prove Christianity teaches against following Christ. So you need to understand the New Testament is simply a hodgepodge of material gathered and compiled and put in a little book. Now, it is inspired. I, I love it. I cherish it. I read it and study it. I would not want to do be without it. But still, it was not written as a theological treatise. The, the Gospels and the book of Acts were written as historical accounts. The book of Acts, and I have a, a, an article, Facts from Acts, in, in which I discuss what I call the Acts basis. The book of Acts, in my opinion, is actually the most important book in the New Testament from the standpoint, from the standpoint of establishing the basis of faith of the original followers of Yeshua. From that standpoint, it is the primary most important book because, frankly, that was an intent of the author when he wrote it to document and establish and explain the faith practices of the followers of Yeshua. The Gospels introduce us to Yeshua. The Gospels chronicle the ministry of Yeshua. They chronicle his death and resurrection, etc. They chronicle his teachings, the specifics of Yeshua Judaism from Yeshua himself. So they're very important, obviously. But Acts 
is the basis by which we should interpret everything else in the New Testament. And everything in the New Testament should itself be interpreted from the basis of the Tanakh, which is what everyone in the New Testament considered to be Holy Scripture. All right? So we went a long way to establishing that in part one. Now here in part two, I want to dis- to discuss one particular area of Scripture or passages within the New Testament. And yes, I call the New Testament Scripture. It is Scripture. Scripture is simply a word that means writings, but it's not holy Scripture from the at least not to the extent of the Tanakh, but it is Scripture. So within those Scriptures, we find in Peter's epistle a couple of verses that sometimes Christians will use to say, see, see, the New Testament is Scripture, it is Holy Scripture, but it doesn't prove that at all. And remember from part one, there are 51, yes, 5-1, there are 51 passages in the New Testament which mention the word Scripture, and I actually used, looked for the Greek word, which is translated as Scripture, to arrive at the number 51. 51 passages. Every single passage refers to the Tanakh, not to the New Testament, as being Scripture. So if, you're actually, if you actually follow scripturally the New Testament, you have to admit that the Tanakh is Holy Scripture, and the Tanakh has authority over the New Testament. All right. So, what was Peter's intent in 2 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16? And, the, and that's the, the passages to which I was referring. So, now, what of the one passage in the New Testament the very last use of the term Scripture in the Bible, by the way, that's an interesting point. The very last time the term Scripture is mentioned in the Bible is in this area of passages in Second Peter, in Peter's epistle. Anyway, this is a passage that some people may point to as proof that the New Testament is on an equal level with the Tanakh. Although a common-sense review of 2 Timothy, which we covered in Part 1, and the 50 other verses in the New Testament, which mention the term Scripture, should make the case, I realize tradition is often unbreakable, and most people will cling to their traditions no matter what. And that is understandable. I used to do the same. I will now move to that proof passage that is used by most Christians particularly Christian pastors, to allegedly prove or provide evidence that the New Testament is equal to the Tanakh in terms of being Scripture. So reading from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, and I'll be reading from the King James Version. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved Paul also, excuse me, our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. Note, that the use of the word scriptures in this area of passage 
may be used to promote the New Testament as Holy Scripture, okay? That's what the the pastors will want you to think, that the use of the term Scriptures here promotes the New Testament as being Holy Scripture. But I'll prove that it doesn't. So let me read through that again, 2 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16. And also note that Peter points out that Paul's material is difficult to understand particularly for those who are unlearned and unstable. And I would say that is particularly applicable to people who are Torah ignorant. If you do not understand Torah, or at least have a basic understanding of a Torah, you are not going to understand the epistles of Paul, period, full stop. And that's what Peter's, uh, Peter here is referring to, which I point out in that discussion in which I prove that Christianity does not follow Christ. Okay, so 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. Again, all right, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest or mess up and misinterpret it, misinterpret, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. All right. So I will respond to those who demand that these verses prove the New Testament is Holy Scripture. First, this is the only passage in the entire Bible that even potentially hints that the New Testament is Scripture. Notice that. The only passage in the entire Bible that even hints the New Testament is possibly Scripture. Thus, those who wish to use it as evidence of the New Testament being Holy Scripture are fighting against all the rest of the Bible. Number two, The Greek word used in verse 16 and translated as scriptures may not even mean holy scripture. However, even if it does, which I believe to be the case, it certainly does not equate Paul's writings or the New Testament to holy scripture. And finally, number three, the actual intent of Peter's statement is misinterpreted to imply that somehow he was equating Paul's writings to Holy Scripture. However, he was actually intending to make an entirely different point. Peter's focus was upon the misinterpretation of writings. His intention was not on the writings themselves. All right, so expanding. Point one, this is the only passage in the entire Bible that even hints that the New Testament is Holy Scripture. All right. As I said, expanding on that point, it must be realized that 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16 is the only passage, the only passage in the entire Bible that even suggests that the letters written in the New Testament may be considered scriptures and thus equal to the Tanakh, or as Christians irreverently call it, the Old Testament. However, Does it really, without question, suggest this? Or is that interpretation forced upon it by the bias 
of the Christian reader. The assumption most Christians make is that Peter's use of the term scriptures during his reference to Paul's epistles means that Paul's writings must be holy scripture. Furthermore, the use of the word other in the phrase Peter uses of other scriptures is the primary reason people jump to the conclusion that the New Testament is on an equal level with the talk. So, what we have, and this, this is amazing. Again, remember, the, the use of the word other in the phrase Peter uses of other scriptures is the primary reason people jump to the conclusion that the New Testament is on an equal level with the Tanakh. Excuse me. So, what we have is actually a single word in the entire Bible that even suggests that the New Testament is Holy Scripture. One single word in the entire Bible. Most Christians rarely use the Tanakh as the basis of their faith, choosing instead to overrule it with the New Testament. Therefore, they effectively rip from their Bibles 77% of its content. The Tanakh is 77% of the Bible. Based upon one single word in the entire Bible. I mean, people, that this is stunning to me. There are 31,102 verses in the Bible that most Christians carry, 23,145 verses in the Tanakh, and 7,957 verses in the New Testament. Despite the fact that they are looking at a 31,101 to 1 disadvantage with their claim that the New Testament is holy scriptures, many Christians still hold to their belief of equating the New Testament to Holy Scripture, and even worse, using it to overrule the Tanakh. If that is not an amazing bit of trivia, of unparalleled and eternal importance, I do not know what is. 31,101 to 1 disadvantage with the claim of the New Testament being Holy Scripture. And that is assuming that this verse we read actually does support them, which, by the way, it doesn't. So one single word. That word is the word other, by the way. When, when Peter says other scriptures, the one word other, one single word in the entire Bible, they Basically, they use one word to support their belief that the New Testament is equal to and, frankly, implicitly able to overrule the Tanakh, which every personality in the New Testament considered to be Scripture. They considered the Tanakh to be Scripture. There was no New Testament. It did not exist. Okay, point two. Point two. 
Is the passage actually talking about Holy Scripture? If so, does the use of the Greek term graphe, which is the Greek term translated Scripture, explicitly equate Paul's writings to Holy Scripture? Okay, so what of the passage? Well, first, it must be noted that an entirely different word is used that clearly does refer to Paul's writings. That word in the Greek is epistole, and is correctly translated as epistles in the verse. Though some may argue of the relevance of this point, it nonetheless nonetheless must be realized that an entirely different Greek word, which does not mean scripture, is used to refer to the letters of Paul. Note the Strong's exhaustive concordance definition of this word, epistole. Epistole, Strong's number 1992. A letter, epistle. That's what it means. It's a letter. Secondly, the Greek word graphe, which is here and elsewhere correctly translated scriptures, does not necessarily have to refer to the holy scriptures. Why do I say this? Well, note the definition, again, from Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. And I could have used other New Testament Greek lexicons, but I just decided to to choose uh, and use Strong's. So Strong's number 1124, graphe. It could mean a writing or a thing written. It could mean the scripture used to denote either the book itself or its content contents, or it could mean a certain portion or section of the Holy Scripture. Strong's definition of graphe, as well as the definition from other Greek lexicons, suggest it could just as easily be referring to any writing or anything that is written, not simply Scripture, anything, any writing. Other lexicons define it as document, any general document. To force it to mean holy scripture is to force upon the passage a meaning that the writer may not have have intended. It is very important to note that the Greek term graphe is used in a plural form within Peter's verses, within Peter's epistle, which is why it is translated as the plural word scriptures with an S. In reference to the plural form of this word, the Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament, based upon semantic domains, states the following, quote, The reference is to the Old Testament and not to the entire Bible, including both the New Test- New and Old Testaments. Did you get that? The use of the plural term scriptures, which is what Peter used here in his passage, is defined from the Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament based upon semantic, of semantic domains to be referring to the Tanakh, the Old Testament. It says it right there. Let me read this again because people are going to miss this. The Greek term graphe is used in a plural form in Peter's epistle. Scriptures, plural. The Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament based upon semantic domains 
says this, quote, referring to that use, referring to that use of the term in Peter's uh, passage, the reference is to the Old Testament and not to the entire Bible. Did you hear that? Thus, use of 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16 as proof that the New Testament was considered holy scriptures by Peter is nebulous at best and openly devious at worst. Although it is true that the term did refer to scripture in all other uses, the additional term specifically referring to Paul's writings of epistole implies that this use of the Greek word graphe may be better may, may be better interpreted to be referring to general writings or documents since that is exactly what the word can mean i do not force this opinion because there is no need to in fact i personally believe peter's use of the term may indeed be with respect to true scriptures but i am unsure however I will next show why, even if the meaning is Scripture, it still does not prove Paul's writings or the New Testament are to be considered Holy Scripture. Realistically, this verse must be relegated to the level of inconclusive, and I humbly disagree with anyone who forces upon it an interpretation that Peter may not have intended. Now, to the final and most important point regarding those passages from 2 Peter chapter 3. Point 3. Christian misinterpretation of the intent of Peter's statement. All right. Let's assume that Peter is referring to Holy Scripture within the context of his mentioning of Scripture in verse 16 of 2 Peter chapter 3 that still doesn't prove Peter was equating Paul's writings to Scripture. An important point of clarification is with regards to the issue of what Peter's actual point is in stating what he did in verse 16. What is Peter's point in that sentence? What is Peter actually equating? Is he equating Paul's epistles to Scripture? Or is he making an entirely different comparison? Let's look at the verses again. Again, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. All right. Note the following. First, Peter mentions Paul's letters or epistles and states that those letters are sometimes misinterpreted. Actually, they're almost always misinterpreted within Christianity. Second, Peter then equates the misinterpretation of Paul's letters 
to the common misinterpretation of Scripture. So, what Peter is equating is the misinterpretation aspect. He is not equating the actual writings of which he speaks. In other words, he's not equating Paul's writings to Scripture. He's equating the common misinterpretation of Paul's writings to the common misinterpretation of the Scriptures. A simple unbiased reading of the verse shows this to be an obvious grammatical fact. Let me restate this. This is important. Peter, in verse 16, is not equating Paul's letters to Scripture. What he is actually equating is the common problem of misinterpretation. The focus is on the misinterpretation issue, not on the writings themselves. Peter mentions scriptures only so that he can provide an example of misinterpretation to help illustrate the problem he had seen of people also misinterpreting Paul's epistles. Strangely, that same misinterpretation and misapplication problem Peter was warning about has been done with Peter's own epistle. Peter's reason for verse 16 was to provide an example of how the unlearned and unstable often do not understand Paul's letters just as they often do not understand Scripture or possibly other writings that may have been in circulation at the time. It is the misunderstanding aspect Peter is here focusing on not the Scripture aspect. Also, depending upon how one reads verse 16, it can appear that Peter is actually distinguishing between Paul's epistles and the Scriptures. Frankly, when I read the passage, I see little to suggest that Peter considered Paul's epistles to be Scripture. The the problem is that bias has so infected the standard Christian mind that the typical Christian reader of these passages is incapable of reading them without bias. I present the short study which I just discussed only because so many, unfortunately, are intoxicated with the Christian bias. Read verse 16 again of 2 Peter chapter 3. This time, try not to emphasize the word other so much. Amazingly, if the word other were not, is not read or were not present, the assumption that Paul's letters are holy scripture goes away completely. Additionally, if the term other is read to simply be ref- referenced to other true holy scriptures instead of some sort of code word, to equate Paul's writings to Scripture, the argument that the New Testament is Holy Scripture is again shown to be erroneous. This is particularly true if you consider that synonyms or equivalent terms for other are alternative, supplementary, separate, etc. There is nothing in the term other that necessarily equates Paul's epistles to Holy Scripture. Finally, 
if Christians would consider how no other verse anywhere in the entire Bible even hints at support for the position that the New Testament is Holy Scripture equal in authority to the Tanakh, then my point is proven. I mean, no other Scripture in anywhere in the Bible even hints that the New Testament is equal to the Tanakh. Nowhere. So, even if Peter's use of the term Scripture did refer to Holy Scripture, this verse is still shown to not be equating Paul's writings to Holy Scripture. But even if many still wish to use this passage as alleged evidence that the New Testament is inspired to a level equal with the Tanakh, and more importantly, that it can be used to abolish or overrule the Tanakh, which Christianity actually does, then those people must face the fact that their precarious belief is balanced upon one word in one passage in the entire Bible. Let me say this one more time. 2 Peter 3.16 Regardless of one's view of what is Holy Scripture, is still the only verse in the entire Bible, Tanakh or New Testament, that could be assumed by biased minds to even hint at the possibility that the apostles expected us to consider the New Testament to be equal in authority to the Tanakh. Furthermore, this verse is only referring to the specific epistle or epistles that Peter was thinking about at that moment that he penned his epistle. What of Peter's epistles, or John's epistles, or James' epistle, or the Gospels, or the book of Acts, etc.? There is no mention by Peter in which he refers to them as Scripture. The facts I've presented here are irrefutable. And I will go through, again, at the end of part three, which hopefully will come up soon and will be the final part, you will have at your fingertips every New Testament use of the word Scripture. Listen to those passages where it's used, or go to the Torah Messiah website and check out this particular document of what is true Holy Scripture, and there's a link within the document that links you to the 51 verses where the term Scripture is used, and check them out yourself. Don't, you don't have to take my word for it. If Christians wish to base their entire faith and eternal destiny on one word or even one verse in the entire Bible, then go for it. They can do that if they wish. If they wish to discard the explicit and implicit definition of Holy Scripture found in 77% of the Bible, the Tanakh, and all but one passage in the other 23%, the New Testament, accounting for the New Testament writings, if they wish to implicitly discard all the other evidence based upon one single word or one single verse, then that is their choice. But basically, what they're doing is they're taking one verse, which is 0.0032% of the Bible, 
and they're using 0.0032% of the Bible to overrule all the rest of the Bible. If they want to do that, hey, fine, go ahead, do it. But I prefer to go with the overwhelming majority of 99.9968% of the Bible, which constitutes the remaining 31,101 verses of the Bible. All right. Now we'll get in what is the final authority for faith and practice. And I'm going to hold off and jump into that in part three. So what I primarily focused on here in part two was obviously 2 Peter chapter 3, 15 and 16. I expanded upon the fact that the New Testament is not considered Holy Scripture by anyone in the New Testament writings themselves. No characters there ever even knew what the New Testament was. They didn't know what it was. Their Bible was the Tanakh. Their Holy Scriptures were the Tanakh, which sadly most churches rarely focus upon. You, you hardly hear preachers quote from it. It's always New Testament, New Testament, New Testament. And there's nothing wrong with the New Testament. But if your New Testament belief is not based on firm Tanakh teachings, that is the Torah, the writings, and the prophets, which is what the acronym Tanakh means, if your faith isn't based on that, then your faith is an erroneous faith. It is a false faith. It is not a true faith in Christ or of Christ. Christians need to read the Tanakh and base their faith on that, just as Second Peter told Timothy to do, or excuse me, just as Paul told Timothy to do in Second Timothy, as I covered in part one. Okay, so we'll stop here, and hopefully Christians will start spending more time on their Tanakh, which, and maybe stop calling it Old Testament. God's teachings are not old. I don't think he's pleased when you call his teachings old, implicitly discarding them and consider That basically is implicitly saying that they're irrelevant. Oh, that's old. That's old stuff. Let's go with the new. Let's not, don't mess with the old. Let's go with the new, the New Testament. No. The Tanakh is not old. Well, I mean, if you talk about age, the New Testament's old too. It's 2,000 years old. The Tanakh, that's the teachings of God. The Torah specifically, that is literally interpreted as teachings. It is the teachings of God. His prophets are in the Tanakh. The writings are in the Tanakh. That, that's basically Kings, Chronicles, Psalms, Proverbs. That's the Tanakh. That's what everyone in the New Testament considered to be their Bible. And Christians, you need to follow their example and make sure it is your primary Bible. So thank you and join us again in for part three of this discussion. Thank you and bye-bye.